0: Well, good morning, everybody. Let me add my welcome to Erica's and say we're so glad that you're here with us. We're so glad that you've joined us today in this series called uh, Being Challenge, where we've been exploring what it is to put into habit the practices of Jesus. And it's so good to see you guys. It's, like, really crazy to see all of these seats back in the room when you walked in. I know Zach explained what's going on, but it's like—but at the same time, it's like it feels so right to see— All these seats and actually people seated all over the place and faces I haven't seen in a while. So it is so good to be with you this morning. So my name is Tony Diekman. I don't know if I said that. Did I say that? Anyway, um, I'm one of the pastors at Trinity. It's like, oh, forgive me. Um, And and so I'd love to pray as we begin this morning, if you would. I could use it. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people and the word that unites us, the spirit that draws us. And we ask you to move by that spirit in this place move in our hearts and in our minds and in our midst. Knit us, break us apart, knit us back together into the person and the people that you long us to be. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't need the church. (laughs) I don't. I don't need to go to church. I don't need the church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't. I know God. God knows me. He knows my heart. We're good. I don't need to go to church. Mom, those are often the words I spoke back to her for over 20 years when she would tell me I needed to go to church. And my reply was, I don't need to go to church. I'm good. And she was nothing but persistent because I said it went on for 20 years. And I never grew tired of telling her, I don't need the church. Well, obviously some things have changed, right? (laughs) I mean, obviously right now I'm a pastor and and, and I'm here today uh, giving you a message that says, you need to choose church, (laughs) right? So God has a sense of humor, obviously. Um, But a lot has changed. And one of the things that has changed is that, well, in my mind is that my mom was right. Um, And I have told her that, by the way. And I thank her for her persistence. But the other big thing that's changed is is my understanding of who God is. God has so graciously and patiently revealed to me that I was probably, most likely wrong about some things early on. And, And that I had such a small understanding of who God was and is. My picture of God was just like almost ridiculous as to who I thought he was. But yet God in his grace and in his goodness and in his faithfulness And through the people of this church patiently walked beside me to teach me and instruct me. And he's still revealing to me just how big he is. And I still make him so small in my eyes. But the way I saw him then was nothing compared to the way I see him now. And that really happened as he was patient with me and as the people of this church were patient with me. And and helping me see things about Jesus. and, And really I had no idea what mattered to God. I had no idea what mattered to Jesus. And of course, one of the things I figure out, one of the things he reveals to me in his word is church matters, Tony. Like, yeah, you need to choose church. I mean, I see that in Jesus's words. I had no idea it mattered so much, but it does matter to Jesus. And, and, and you see that, right? And you see it in the text. Like when Jesus was 12 years old, he's with his parents in Jerusalem for a festival and they leave and guess what happens? They lose Jesus. Now, parents... It's it's crazy when you lose your child, right? But think about, as parents, you lose the Son of God. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's like, think about the thoughts that go through your head. But they lose Jesus, right? And they're looking all over for him. And where do you think they find him? In the temple, right? And here's what Jesus says. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know this is where I'd be? I mean, where else would I be but in my father's house? Right? And it's like, and, and I can hear you know, like Joseph, like, like, duh, right? I mean, we should have known this is where he would be. Jesus chose to be with his people. He chose to be where, where his father was, in his father's house. But we also see Jesus in his ministry when he was older doing the same thing. We're told uh, by the apostle Luke that when he was in Jerusalem, he taught in the temple daily. You know, the temple at that time was like the megachurch, you know. Everybody went to the temple, especially those high holy days. But out in the countryside, there were things called synagogues, like these smaller gatherings of the Jewish people. And they're sort of like the precursor for the church. And, and Jesus would teach there whenever he was in, in the area of a synagogue. Jesus chose the church constantly. The church mattered to Jesus. It was important to him. And so today I'm here saying to you, we are called by Jesus to choose church. Now, now this isn't lost on me. Like some things are lost on me, but this one isn't lost on me. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Right? I mean, you guys are here today. And I'm saying, we need to choose church. Right? It's like, and you're maybe saying, well, Tony, you need to like preach to these people that aren't here today. And when you figure out how I can do that, you just let me know. And I would love to figure that out. But maybe... You've got people in your life like me, at least early, young me, right? That you've been saying, you need to go to church, and you need to go to church, and you need to go to church, and they're like, I don't need to go to church. Stop telling me I need to go to church. Or maybe you're here today because somebody said you need to go to church, and you got tired of the nagging, and you came to church today. Or you were guilted into coming today, or you felt pressure into coming today, but for whatever reason, you're here today. And maybe you're here on a regular basis, and yet you're still trying to figure out, well, so why is it we go, right? Or maybe one of your children has asked you, why is it we go to church? Well, that's what we've always done. And my hope today is that we can have a better understanding of why we go to church and, and how that can strengthen us and, and, and how we have a better picture and idea of who God is, right? And he teaches us always who we are if we pay attention. And so we want to do that this morning, and we want to look at why is it we, we, we choose church? Why is it we gather here on the weekends with the church? And why is it we go to small group? And why is it that we, we, we read our Bibles? And why is it we give money to the church? Why do we do these things? And so I, I want to I kind of look at that today. But before I do that, I'd kind of look at like this real briefly, like before we look at why choose church, it's like, what is the church, right? And, and really, when you read scripture, you find out that the church isn't this building, Right? Even the building over on Kimberly Way that looks more like a church, or the one in Galewood that looks really like a church, right? it's got the steeple and everything. It's like the official church, right? It's like it's not the church. The, the, the office building in South Naperville, that's not the church. The, you are the church. The building is not the church. The people are the church. We see that over and over again in Scripture. And we see it talked about. That God's people are called the church. God's people are called the body of Christ. God's people are called the bride of Christ. And that all comes together, we see in Ephesians chapter 5. The apostle Paul, you know, one of the apostles that wasn't, he was a Pharisee and got converted. You know, Jesus, like, showed him the light. And and Paul became a follower of Jesus. And in the book of Acts that teaches us the story of the church, we read that. You know, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Not the church building, right, but the church. And gave himself up for her, his bride, not the building, right? He didn't give himself up for a building. He gave himself up for a people. And he washed and cleaned her, right? He didn't clean the building. It wasn't about that, although I think he probably likes clean buildings, but he didn't do that, right? It was for a people, you. You who call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are the church. So when you hear about the church in Scripture and read about the church, you are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Where we go, goes the church. And so that's what the church is. And we see that Jesus actually not only chose church, he actually brought about the church. In Acts chapter 2, we see that they're gathered on the steps of the temple. We believe it's the temple. They, some translations say it's the house. And really, in that time, the temple was often referred to as the house. As Jesus said it earlier, you would expect me to find me in my Father's house. And we know that because there were thousands and thousands of people gathered there. It couldn't have been a small room in an upper, built, you know, an upper room and we're told there were people of all different kinds of languages from all over over the area. And so they were there, and all the, the apostles were there, and they were told to wait until they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we're told that that day on Pentecost, a day that was celebrated in the Hebrew culture, 50 days after Passover, was this festival of weeks where they were anticipating this harvest. That was the festival of Pentecost. Pentecost being a Greek word, but they're gathering 50 days after the Passover. On Pentecost, we read, and what happens? There's this mighty wind that blows through the place, and everything shakes, and this fire comes down, and it lights on all the apostles' heads. And and they begin speaking in all different kinds of languages and tongues. And remarkably, everybody can understand what they're saying. Because people are there that speak different languages. And they hear the disciples speaking in their own language. And everybody is having this experience. And people think they're drunk. And, people, and Peter stands up and says, no, 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 we're not drunk. Let me tell you what's going on here. And he preaches the gospel. What God has done from the beginning and what God has done through Jesus and what God will do through the church. And people are like cut to their core and their is, So what do we do? What do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And we're told that 3,000 people came to faith that day. There was like a Holy Spirit revival there in Jerusalem that day. That was the day that God established his church. And the rest, as they often say, it's too cliche, is the rest is history because the church of Christ was born that day. But there was a day earlier that really played the pivotal point in the history of the church. And that was the day that you hear described in the text that we heard read earlier from Hebrews chapter 10. And it's there that we see what happens as the writer tells us, and he brings it all together to help us see a better picture of what actually happened that day for the world. It ushered in an entirely new reality for everyone. And so as we go through this text, I wanna look at what we learn about why we go to church. And there are these three big let us statements that the writer makes to help remind us to help teach us. And so it's, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to his hope. Let us consider one another all three things that I had no clue, had no understanding about when I was told to go to church. But something that Jesus has has patiently taught for centuries and took me years to finally understand. Let's dive in. The writer of Hebrews starts this way. He says, therefore, and let me stop right there, because we've said, whenever you see that word, therefore, you ask a question. What's the therefore, therefore? And the therefore is there about everything that's come before that. And the writer in Hebrews is telling us about what therefore is about prior to chapter 10. Actually, prior to midway through chapter 10. See, the the Hebrew people had a sacrificial system. And in that sacrificial system, they were called to bring sacrifices, animal, grain, food, uh, drink, to sacrifice for their sins, and every, every year they would bring a sacrifice, or the people would bring a sacrifice through the high priest for the nation. And this whole sacrificial system was something that was done daily and every day and endlessly, and there were, there were armies of priests that served at the temple. And these priests were offering sacrifices for themselves, but then the writer of Hebrews reminds us that this great high priest, this high priest Jesus comes and he offers one sacrifice for all time and then sits down, something a priest would never have been able to do. And this high priest sits down at the right hand of God, putting to end the sacrificial system. And he says, since that has happened, since Jesus has come, since we have that high priest, since we have confidence to enter now the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh... We're going to come back to that. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Like, what is he talking about? That we have a new way open to us through the curtain, which is his flesh. Remember what I said, that that Jesus came and Jesus did something that actually ushered in a new reality. And because this high priest offered one sacrifice and sat down, we now have confidence. There's now a new way open for you and I to do something that up until that point could not be done. Dare not be done. And that is approach God himself. Without offering a sacrifice, without a high priest in between you and God. What happened? Well, we're told in, in the Gospels that Jesus Christ was crucified. That's what happened. And we're told in Luke's Gospel that the day that Jesus was crucified, on that day, we see this temple curtain. In the temple, in the, second, in the second temple period, there was this large curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And in the Holy of Holies resided the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the thing where they placed... The, the tablets of the, of the law and, and Moses' staff was in there Aaron's staff and there was manna from the desert and there were these artifacts and we're told that God's presence resided in the Holy of Holies and this curtain separated everything else from that and it was only once a year the high priest could enter that area to offer a sacrifice for the nation on that day of atonement only that day and, and we're told that they would tie a rope around his ankle that if he died back there, they could pull him out because no one else dare go back there. But yet, on the day that Jesus was crucified, the moment we're told in Luke that he breathed his last breath, that temple curtain tore in two from top to bottom. It said the ground shook and the rocks split open. The rite of Hebrews is bringing this all back together for us and showing us at this moment, this was the moment that ushered in a new reality for mankind. This was the moment the temple curtain tore and made a way for everyone, as Peter said, for all who are far off, for you and for your children to find a way to God to actually have a relationship with God that we no longer need a human intermediary between us and God. We no longer need to offer sacrifices to come to God. He just calls us to come ourselves. Because Jesus has made a way. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do special things. You don't have to attend church so many times. No, it's like Jesus says, come to me. Why can we come to him? We come to him through the blood of Jesus. right? I've heard people say, I don't dare walk into that church building, because when I do, the roof is going to fall. Right? Well, if it was going to fall, it was going to fall on me, and it didn't. Because Jesus is holding it up. Because I walk in the blood of Jesus. And because of what he's done, I can come to Jesus. I can come to God and pray to him directly. He calls me now his child. I get to do something that people for thousands of years longed to do and couldn't. But now that Jesus has come and made a way, I get to come to God. I get to choose church. I don't have to choose church as a sacrifice to earn God's favor, to be seen as righteous. No, I get to go to church. I get to hang out with the people of God. I get to go to small group because Jesus has made it possible. I don't have to go to church. I choose church because Jesus has made that possible. I don't have to clean myself up. He knows who I am, and he loves me as I am. But he loves me too much to leave me that way, so he's brought me to the church. I love how he gives us this beautiful imagery of what Jesus has done. Choosing church is about Jesus. Choosing church is about doing what we were created to do, and that is to be the church. And the church gathers around God's word. The church gathers around his sacraments. The church gathers, as we're called, by the Holy Spirit. And we do what we do. I mean, it's like, Jesus, what else would we be doing on a Sunday morning but choosing church? where else would we be? The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, so let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For years, all I did was put my hope in me, in how good I was, and in what I was accomplishing, although it wasn't much. I was accomplishing things. And I had things I was going to accomplish, and I had plans, and the last thing I needed to do was get up early on Sunday morning to go at 11 o'clock service. It was a day of rest, wasn't it? I didn't need the church. I, I, I didn't need the church. I had plans. My hope was in me. I didn't, need, I didn't need to put my hope in you people. I didn't need to put my hope in anything else. But, but see, that's where God is like so amazing, right? Because he teaches you that, you know what? It's like, yeah, there's nothing really spectacular about you, Tony. I don't really care what others tell you or what you tell yourself. But you are just like everybody else. Your hope doesn't reside in you. It doesn't reside in your address. It doesn't reside in your bank account or what you drive or who your friends are or where you vacation, that your worth is not not found there. Your purpose in life is not found there. It is only found in one person, and that is in Jesus. If you want, want to understand who you are and why you're here, get to know Jesus. And get to know the fact that it is in Him we hope, not in our goodness. Not in the things we've accomplished. The things that we've accomplished all altogether wouldn't amount to a hill of beans. But what Jesus accomplished paid the sins of the entire world, made it possible for me to have hope and to actually have assurance that I'm good with God. Not just this idiotic thought that I was, but actually an assurance of faith that I can actually stand and say, yeah, God and I are good. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. God and I are good. Now, that doesn't mean I'm good, but it means we're good. And that's what Jesus is saying to you, and that's the message of the church to you this morning, is that you and God are good. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're good with God. You have that assurance this morning. That's the hope that we confess. It's in Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what we hold on to. That's what we have assurance of. And that's what gets me through this day. And that's when things go upside down and we stop meeting here. And that's what gives me hope is that Jesus is still working and God is still on his throne. He is faithful. And I can honestly say that I'm good with God because of Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews goes further and says, and so let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus says, let us consider one another. The writer says, Jesus, well it's Jesus through the writer, says, let us consider one another. Something I never, ever did. Never considered the feelings of my mom, never considered for a moment that I needed any of you I was good. I had plans. I never once considered anything but myself. I did the most convenient thing, sleep in on Sunday. I did the thing that that was the easiest for me to do. I always took the easier path. And yet God, through his patience, through his kindness, reveals through, to me, through you, through the people of Trinity, that I, I was mistaken about a few things. And patiently, the people of this church, this body of believers, walked alongside me and labored alongside of me, probably shaking their heads behind my back for years, teaching me and, 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 and growing me up, and showing me that God does have a purpose for my life, and showing me that that I can be useful to the church. And and believe it or not, the church, Tony, can be useful for you. In fact, you were created, Tony, to actually exist in this body, to be a part of this body of believers. You need this church more than you understand. And it's only been the years of of studying God's Word and and walking with people and being corrected and encouraged and loved on that, that I've come to understand that. It's not just reading his word, it's actually experiencing Jesus with skin on. The people of this church coming alongside of me and, 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 and loving me and my family. And, and, and doing so in a way that changed my life. Changed not only the way I thought, it changed my entire life. And I know that wasn't easy. <laughs> I know it wasn't easy for them. But that's what we do, right? As as followers of Jesus, we do the most difficult thing. We don't choose the easy path. We just we don't because Jesus didn't choose the easy path, right? In his book Against the Tide, Miroslav Volf, he's a he's a Croatian theologian and preacher, that uh, that's and an author. And in this book, he writes about his experience going to Croatia and visiting this farm and this old farmer with these. Big, like just calloused hands. And he he made the best like gross looking sausage in the world over there, apparently. And he went there to experience it, but he experienced something more. He sat down and had a conversation with this this elderly man along with a neighbor and a and a friend who brought him. And 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 this this farmer, Jada, he, he he gets up and he says this: he says, always choose a more difficult path. And and the neighbor that was there with him said, what, I'm always supposed to use a, a dull shovel than a, and a sharp shovel to dig a hole? To which Jada said, no, and really, you know, no. He said, no, this is what I mean. He said, it's easier for us to be served than to serve and to take than to give. Serving is the harder path. Giving is the harder path. Because we are selfish, the path of love is always more difficult. Always choose the more difficult path. See, I thought I was good with God, right? Because I had my own path. It was a path that I had had mapped out for myself, and, and it was a good path. But it was an easy path. And I've come to learn that was an easy path because I've come to understand more and more who Jesus is. And Jesus did not choose the easy path. All right? Jesus didn't have to come to earth. He chose to come. He chose to come and give his life for you. He came to to walk this earth and to be ridiculed and to be spit on and to be mocked and to be, Murdered on a cross. For me. Jesus chose the more difficult path. And something amazing happened. A whole new reality opened up, a whole new world began. And it was ushered in by the church and the Holy Spirit. And God is working through the church, and He continues to work through the church today. And He calls us who call Him Lord and Savior to choose the more difficult path, to follow Jesus, to choose love. The people that walked alongside me chose that difficult path. And God honors those who choose the difficult path of following Jesus. Now, I know some of you are here today and you have chosen the most difficult path because you came, maybe you were like, you know, like headlocked and drug here. Or maybe God's been working in your heart for a while and you just came today and it took a lot for you to walk through those doors. It was the most difficult thing you've done in a while. And I want to encourage you to keep coming back. Because God is faithful. And there's some this weekend that are actually meeting online and doing the most difficult thing. Right? They're doing the most difficult thing because while they would love to be here, because of physical distance or physical limitations or because it's just not safe for them to be here, they've chosen to gather online this weekend. And for them, it's the most difficult thing to do because they would really like to be here. And so they're doing the most difficult thing, right? But there are some this weekend. There are some, and, and, and some might be here in this room, right? And, but there's some online this weekend that are, that are choosing not the most difficult path, right? They're choosing, and you're choosing or have chosen the most convenient path, right? And it's like I'm going to movies, I'm going to the restaurants, I'm going to football games, hockey games, basketball games. I'm doing pretty much everything I did before COVID except I'm worshiping online. Because who wouldn't like to open up their laptop, not put on their clothes and drink a cup of coffee and close the laptop if they don't like the message or the series? It's kind of harder to do that here. Because we will stop you if you leave. (laughs) But you can do that at home. It's convenient. It's easy. It's nice. It's a gathering of the church. But it's not the most difficult thing. It's really not the path of love because the path of love considers other people. The path of love says, you know, there are people here that that would love to see you. There are people here that you could serve, right? And we would love to serve you. And you're you're not giving us that opportunity. Because that's why we gather, to worship God, to serve one another, and to be the church, right? And so we want to encourage people to do the most difficult thing. And so maybe if you're here today and, and you're just kind of going back and forth between those things, I want to encourage you to choose the most difficult path. I know it's not easy. I know that's why it's called difficult. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus chose church. Not because it was easy, but because it was the most difficult thing. And he did so for you. And so this morning, I just want to tell you that be who you were recreated to be. Be the church. Choose church. Choose the most difficult path.